you never want to ask any probing questions because it hurts your chances of getting a credit if you find out beforehand if there's a roof leak, for example. Before we get into today's episode, are you a fix and flipper who needs some money? You need to maybe do more deals and you're limited by the funds you have available. Well then, Fund That Flip, today's best ever sponsor, has a solution for you. And you know Fund That Flip, right? You're a loyal best ever listener. The founder, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show multiple times. And they have been a previous sponsor. And they love working with the best ever listeners. And they provide short-term fix and flip loans to experienced investors. They've got an online platform, makes the entire process super easy, and you can get funded in as few as seven days. So if you're looking for a reliable funding partner, go to fundthatflip.com and mention that, well, you heard about it on the Best Ever Show. Best Ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Anthony Margulis. How you doing, Anthony? Good, Joe. Doing great. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And a little bit more about Anthony. He founded Amalfi Estates, a philanthropic residential real estate firm. 22 years ago, he donates 10% of his commission to charity and has given $464,000 since 2014. He's personally sold close to $1 billion in properties. Yes, that's with a B. He's selected by the Wall Street Journal as one of the top 60 agents in the country. There's over a million agents in the country. He's one of the top 60 based in Los Angeles, California. With that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. I started my company. It's going on 24 years now, so it's been a couple more years on there, but it's been great. We do the luxury market in Los Angeles. We've been very, very active, and we've had a great time, and we, we cover a lot of Los Angeles Santa Monica, Pacific Palisades, Brentwood, Bel Air. We work with a lot of developers. We've made a lot of developers millions of dollars with some of our negotiating and some of our real estate advice. So happy to share some of that on the yeah. show today. Perfect. With the developer angle, you said you've made developers a lot of money with how you approach things. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. We've been able to find them a lot of off-market properties. It's a very competitive marketplace right now. So for any of your listeners looking at different neighborhoods, the quick and easy way to check a neighborhood is the unsold inventory index. And basically, you take the existing inventory, you divide it by the number of homes that have sold the previous month. Anything over five months is considered a buyer's market. Under five months is a seller's market. You can get the health of a market. If something's one or two months, it's pretty active as a seller's market. And 10 or 15 months, it's pretty active as a buyer's market. We've been able to find a lot of off-market properties for a lot of our developers by just really hitting the pavement. And I used to own a development company, so I have development background about 30 years ago, and also owned a mortgage company for about 10 years. So with the mortgage background and the development background, we're a little bit different than a typical residential real estate agent. We know how to crunch the numbers and make sure that, that it's going to work out. And we're very conservative with our estimates, so we've been very helpful to a lot of developers in, in making a lot of money with their investments. With developers that you find off-market properties, how long is the development process usually for you to then, because I assume, I mean, you're finding them a property, so then you will list it whenever they sell, right? That's part of the process, I imagine. 
So how long is that turnaround typically for you? How long does it take for them to build the house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It varies. The properties they're building can range anywhere from 3,000 square feet upwards to 12,000 square feet. The builders that do it on a pretty regular basis, Joe, they usually get their plans and permits in place while their acquisition, the teardown, is in escrow. So the minute it closes escrow, within a couple of weeks, they can they have their demo permits. If everything's lined up and it's a very experienced developer and it's not in Coastal Commission or in an area that's very restrictive against building, they typically can build anywhere from nine months to a year from after they have the property purchased. Okay. Help me understand your business model by helping developers. I mean, obviously, I understand the potential profits when you sell them the property and then when they sell the property. But waiting nine months to 12 months, assuming that everything goes right, is that a long time to wait for the work that you put into it to get it together? Myself as a residential broker or for the developer? For you. I'm, I'm just talking about your business yeah, model as, me, as an agent. No, I, for my business model, it's fine. We make the commission when we sell them the teardowns. I mean, land where we are trades for about $355 per land foot. So 6,500 square foot lot will trade for about 2.4 million. So the numbers are a little bit higher. And then the finished product on those lots will be anywhere from five to $6 million. So we're fine waiting. We do a lot of transactions. So this year I'm on track, myself and my team, we're on track to do over $200 million in sales. So we do a lot of business. How do you prioritize that in terms of overall business and maybe it's not you, maybe it's some team members of yours that you talk to, but it's like, I want to spend this percentage of my time focused on helping developers. I want to spend this amount of my time helping people who want to move into their dream house, et cetera. On my team, I represent all the sellers, and then I have six sales partners, and they represent all the buyers. So any buyers that we have looking for properties, whether it's a developer or not, they'll look for the teardowns or the off-market properties. For them, And then we have a full-time marketing person. We have a social media expert. I have a listing partner. And then I have two admin team members to help run our team. Okay. So you've been in the market for now going on 24 years. You've seen the ebb and flow of the market for sure. What are some lessons that you've taken away from that in terms of just staying afloat in the bad times and thriving in the good? I think being very conservative on the numbers and not leveraging yourself too much. I see a lot of developers leveraging themselves, getting hard money loans. I think it's really important to just not be leveraged because the market will turn and they need to be really conservative and have some liquidity. If the construction lender starts calling a note or won't give them an extension, it's like a house of cards. Then suddenly all their non-liquid assets have to be liquidated. So I think just being really conservative or a little more conservative, I think is a smart thing to do. So you've got around 10 or so team members, six team members who represent buyers, one marketing person, one listing, and one social media person. Did I get that right? Yeah, pretty close. Yeah. So we've okay. had, yeah, 10 on our team. Cool. All right. How do you go about identifying when is the next role that you need to fill that currently isn't filled? Well, we pride ourselves on our customer service. So I never worked for real estate. It's a little unique about 
my background in real estate, even though I had a real estate development company and a real estate mortgage company, I started my residential brokerage firm never having worked for a residential brokerage company. So everything we do is more analytical based. So a lot of our clients are investment bankers, venture capital, attorneys, and they really like the fact that we crunch the numbers. So for a lot of our clients, our owner-user clients, when they're buying a property, on average, we do between 10 and 12 specialty inspections of the property. The average agent typically will do one or two. So it's just more of an analytical analysis of the property. The more knowledge we have about the property, the better we can negotiate credits or even a reduction in price. So even bank-owned properties, we've gotten up to $100,000 back in negotiating just by doing our due diligence on that property. Will you walk us through how you do the due diligence when you're crunching those numbers? It's really important. We tell all of our buyers, when they go into an open house, never ask any probing questions. Too often, a lot of buyers who are even experienced buyers, bought several properties, they go in there and they want to impress the listing agent and show them how much they know and say, oh, well, that roof looks older or there's some drainage problems. You never want to ask any probing questions because it hurts your chances of getting a credit if you find out beforehand if there's a roof leak, for example. So our recommendation is don't go in and ask a lot of questions. The goal is to tie up the property as quickly as possible and then do your inspections. And if there are legitimate issues based on what our inspectors find, anything from radon gas testing to foundation issues to having a survey done on some of the larger properties, geological inspections, even if it's a brand new house, we still do 10 to 12 inspections. And you'd be shocked when representing a buyer on a new construction house how much we find problems and how many credits we get back on a new construction house. 10 to 12 inspections. You said a couple, but just you don't have to do all 10 to 12, but just maybe some that are surprising. I don't know if it's surprising, but we'll do chimney inspections, which are they're getting more common. We have a video scope of the chimney. We'll do video scopes of the main sewer line. We'll get termite inspections done to make sure California is very prone for termites. It's number two in the nation for termite damage. Then we'll do mold inspections. If there's a lower level, a basement, we typically do radon, which I mentioned earlier. We'll always check the HVAC system, the plumbing, the electrical, the roof. And then depending on the property, if it's an older property, we may do asbestos. So there's a list that we have based on the property. Are all of those different inspectors or do you have one house inspector who does the majority of it and then you got some special specialists coming in? We have a general home inspector, but all the ones I mentioned are specialty inspectors. And those are all ones that the buyer pays for. What we found on average, Joe, is that the cost of the inspections for all of them is between five and $6,000. Sometimes it can be upwards of seven or 8000 depending on the size of the house. And we typically get anywhere from a six to 10 times return on that investment because those reports become a material fact that have to be given to the listing agent and the seller, and they have to give those to any future buyers if for some reason we are not able to close escrow or the seller is not willing to give us those credits. Mm. So let's talk about how you've gotten to the point now where you and your team are doing $200 million in sales this year. About how many properties does that make up? Our average price is about $4 million. So we'll do about 50 sale transactions, and we'll do about another 30 residential luxury lease transactions. Okay. 
What are some tips for people who have not rubbed elbows with affluent, high net worth individuals as frequently as you have, but want to get to know how to approach them? The interesting thing is most high net worth individuals, they're very specialized in their knowledge. So they may be an expert in the entertainment industry, in banking, in finance, in starting their own company as an attorney, but they typically know very little about real estate. So we rebranded our firm approximately 12 years ago to a luxury firm. We rebranded the name and just really focused more on high-end properties. And really what it comes down to is knowledge. We want to make sure that we have more knowledge than anyone else that we're talking to, whether it's the client or whether it's another agent. And it's just doing the hard work. There's no secret shortcut. It's really just studying and the knowledge. And I've been teaching uh, real estate as a guest lecturer at UCLA for the past 13 years. And I teach negotiating and contracts. And that helps a lot as well. What we recommend to our buyers, Joe, if they can get at least two of these three things, we recommend they buy the property. So typically, we recommend they buy the least expensive property in the best neighborhood. We recommend creative ways they can add value and certain ways we've done that. For example, we recommend even changing the address on a property if it's on a busier street, but it's on a corner lot. So it can add, in our neighborhood, upwards of $200,000 of value for a $1,000 investment by changing the address from a busy street to a non-busy street if it's a corner lot. Mm. These are very creative ways to add value to a property. Third thing is finding a motivated seller. And what we've done with that is any out-of-area brokers. So if you're in a certain area code and you see a broker from out of that area code or you see a probate sale where someone's passed away or a short sale or foreclosure or a 1031 exchange, any of those things, or if it's an overpriced property and it's just been on the market a long time. If we can get two of those three things, we'll recommend our buyers purchase those properties. Let's pretend that you have not met a new potential. Well, okay, so you represent all the sellers. So let's pretend. I, re- I represent sellers, but my background, I mean, the first 10 years of my, of my business, we represented primarily. Okay. All right. Then we'll go with the first scenario, just hypothetically that you're representing a buyer, you know that she is a high net worth individual specialized in maybe she works at Google or something. So she knows tech, doesn't know real estate as well, but clearly savvy online. So what do you do to prepare for your conversation with her? I find out as much information about the property. If they've narrowed down a property or if they've narrowed down a certain area, usually if it's a property, We'll go through the whole listing history. We'll go through what they paid for the property. We'll go through any other real estate that that owner owns. We'll find out the owner's motivations, where their families live, anything we can find out about that owner. We already know a lot of the agents because we work with them on such a regular basis. But if it's an out-of-area broker, if they're selling a $2 million property and their average price range in the last 10 years was 500000 so I print out all the sales of that broker. So I know going into it, if that's going to be the property that's 100% or 200% more expensive, I already know that that agent's going to be on our side to try and get that sale. And they're going to give us sometimes information that may be beneficial to us in our negotiating. Based on your experience in real estate, what is your best real estate investing advice ever for the best ever listeners? Buy real estate as 
young as you can, as early as you can. My biggest mistake, I didn't buy real estate when I was younger. And I really regret not purchasing real estate at a younger age. And I tell everybody, get your real estate license as early as you can. In certain states, I think it's 18 years old. And buy real estate as soon as you can and hold on to it and don't sell it. And I think that those are the two things that I think are invaluable advice that I wish I was given. You used to have a development company. You used to have a mortgage company. Why don't you have them anymore? The mortgage industry has changed tremendously in the last 10 years, and so it wasn't fun anymore. A mortgage broker is like the last line of defense. The analogy is if you're into sports, but it's like a defensive person, and let's say you're playing soccer, and the mortgage broker is that defense person. And if someone gets by them and they score a goal, everyone's upset at them. But if you're the forward, which is the residential real estate agent, and you shoot on the goal and you miss, it's not a problem. It's like writing an offer and not getting that offer accepted in a very active market. So it was a lot more restrictive with a lot of the federal requirements, a lot of the reporting. It just wasn't as fun anymore, so that's why I sold my mortgage company. The development company was more of a personal thing. Some of the partners I had, we had a differing of opinion on things. <laughs> so I didn't do, uh, yeah, so. But I enjoyed it. Development was fun. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, first a quick word from our best ever partners. You want to get better at negotiating real estate? Well, how about, do you want to get better at negotiating real estate for free? Even better, right? Well, go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has partnered with best-selling author Jay Scott to provide you with a free chapter from Jay's new book on negotiating real estate. I've read the book. Lots of good real-world case studies sprinkled in there, too. I love it when they do that. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever to download your free copy of the chapter today. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high-income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com. Okay, Anthony, I know you studied the lightning round questions. You told me that before, but based on our conversation, I'm going to throw a couple extra ones in here. I might substitute some, so bear with me. But I'll start with one that you have prepared for, best ever book you've read. Blue Ocean Strategy. I have not read it. Do I need to read it in order to get the concept? You know, there's actually a, a great website your listeners are probably love. It's called, I think, Blinkist. And it's basically, if you're in a real hurry and you just want an abridged version of four or five pages of any book, you can go on there and read it. It's almost like a cliff note version. So if you haven't read it and you want to read it, Blue Ocean Strategy, great book. It's basically the people, you're creating a market that one didn't exist for before. And I thought it was just a really outside the box thinking and I really thought it was a great book. Best ever negotiating tip that you tell your students at UCLA? Know your inventory. Go to as many open houses as possible and know your inventory is what I tell my students. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, biggest mistake on a transaction. I think some of the deals where maybe a, a business manager or real estate attorney for the buyer are involved, I sometimes I'll expect them to catch and mm -hmm. read some of the underlying documents. So maybe not thoroughly reading them when others attorneys or business managers are involved and they need to do that on every transaction. I have been guilty of that also. 
What's the best ever deal you've done? I did a deal last year. It was for a developer. And what was nice about that is every other broker in town said, there's no way we're going to get this priced for the finished product. And what we did is we rebranded the entire neighborhood. So there was a neighborhood and it was called Norman. And I rebranded the whole neighborhood as Norman Estates. And everyone's like, I've never heard of Norman Estates. And I'm like, what do you mean you haven't heard of Norman Estates? So I rebranded the entire neighborhood. We got a $13 million price tag for this property when the most expensive property before then was $7 million. And it was just by rebranding the neighborhood. Other than changing the name, does anything else come with the rebranding? What I did is there was a lot of large lots around there. So it's just pointing out to people that they're all gated, larger estates, tennis estate properties, and just educating even the local brokers who weren't even aware of this little pocket and having the data there to back it up. What's the best ever way you like to give back? You know, our charity component has been huge. We have our clients pick from one of five charities, and we have one for health, American Cancer Society, one for kids, Make-A-Wish, one for pets, SBCA, one for homelessness, PATH, which helps people get into homes that are homeless, and then Homeboy Industries, which gets gangs off the street. And it's such a rewarding experience. We really believe we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And it's really about having a relationship with our client, honoring that relationship with a charitable donation, and to see the client light up by they can pick the charity and to know that we've given almost $500,000. This year we're on track for 150000 Next year we're on track for 250000 It's a fantastic thing. And my hope is in 2019 we'll be on track to give $500,000 a year away. And for a small team, I think that's fantastic. And my goal is to get every other residential brokerage house to give 10% to charity as well. And we started a giving pledge that we're challenging every real estate firm and real estate agent in the country to give 10% back to charity. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you or your company? My website is amalfiestates.com. And that's A-M-A-L-F-I estates.com. And I'd love to connect with them. If they have any questions, I'm happy to help out in any way I can. Anthony, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for talking about how you have grown your company to where it's at now for giving us some tips on negotiating as well as your focus. And that is when you are visiting a potential property, which is don't go in there with asking probing questions. Instead, the goal is to tie up the property then do inspections because you don't want to hurt your chances to get credit later, as well as your overarching approach with the philanthropic angle. So thanks for being on the show. hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Joe. Have a great day. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high-income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com.